Today on a very special and format-breaking episode of the show, we're going to be talking about The X-Files, the long-running Fox TV series. How has the show held up over the years? We'll take a closer look. Welcome to Film Club. So Katie, by by total coincidence, the the two of us have recently uh, started rewatching the X Files. Yes, and by total coincidence, you mean that we both <laughs> like the, the X Files. I feel like <laughs> we both are X Files people, and um, we've had a lot of time at home lately. So <laughs> I think that's probably what it is. I mean, it's so, it's sort of comfort food. You know, you reach for yeah. a favorite show during yeah. this time. We, we did not coordinate this, but I, I believe we no. both sort of started rewatching the show around the same time. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, uh, you know, we're going to get more into this throughout the episode. I've been watching, I've been a fan of the X-Files since almost the start. Um, I was a, a child when the show first aired and I've rewatched it. Uh, this will probably be my third go through. I'm kind of doing an abbreviated rewatch of the show mm-hmm, where, mm-hmm. where I sort of do not force myself to watch episodes that I'm not I'm not a big fan of, but I've been sort of uh, doing a targeted a targeted run through of the series again. I'm watching every single episode, so I don't know if I'm as far along as you are in the rewatch because I am watching every single episode. Some of them are, you know, I've seen them before and I know they're not that great. And so they're just sort of background noise, you know, so, so, c- company in my apartment. Yeah, <laughs> I was joking yeah, yeah. with a friend the other day that on the episodes, you know, you know, because there is a certain... Mm, I guess compulsion is the word to be thorough with something like this. We're like, well, I can't skip any of the episodes. And so I was telling a friend that the episodes that I don't really like, I just look up whenever somebody says Mulder or Scully. <laughs> <laughs> to be clear, I love this show. I think you can skip some episodes. You, you can skip but... <laughs> some episodes, yeah. Um, yeah. But it's interesting to watch every single episode, you know, over an extended period of time. You know, it's it's not the only thing I'm watching. I watch a lot of movies too, mm. but it is interesting to see like when you when you are thorough in that way, you start to see like the the certain certain themes come up again and again, and then uh, certain you can watch the development of certain characteristics of the show in real time, so to speak, which is which is interesting. That's true. Yeah. That's true. So we, you know, we don't normally talk about television on this on this <laughs> show. Um, it's called Film Club, not TV Club. Um, <laughs> TV Club uh, is a whole other thing at AV Club. <laughs> that's very true. We, uh, I'm sort of fond, uh, as you know, around the office, although obviously we're not around the office right now, but um, generally around the office, I like to kind of rib our TV people, um, Danette and Eric. I'll sometimes rib them about uh, about film being the superior medium. Um, <laughs> Which it's I an do ongoing believe. bit, yeah. <laughs> Let, let's I, be clear about this. I do think that's true, but uh... I just sit and laugh. I, I'm gonna be. I mean, I worked very closely with Danette when we were both on news desk, and now she's TV yeah. editor. So I, I'm Switzerland in this argument. I just sit there and chuckle <laughs> at true. it. You know, I stay out of it. <laughs> I mean, you know, the truth is that they, in a lot of respects, they are both very different mediums in how they operate and how we engage with them. And also, obviously, built on a shared foundation, a shared audiovisual visual foundation. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the basic building blocks of these two mediums are the same in terms of both technology and uh, how they work in a, in, a, in a sonic and visual way. Well, except but, for the deer in the uh, headlights thing we talked about on our... Uh on our um, movie theater episode where the brain does process um, signals from TVs and 
in a movie theater differently. That's very true. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the, the sort of boundary separating film and television has become shakier over the years. Um, the oh, X-Files, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, like now oh, we, yeah. even ha- we have discussions, not to get too much into how the sausage gets made, but we, we also have discussions on the show sometimes about what qualifies as TV's jurisdiction and what co- qualifies as film's jurisdiction. Exactly. A lot of it comes... You know, I mean, the, like these these streaming platforms are really blurring those lines where, mm-hmm. you know, something like a documentary that might premiere on HBO is that does that fall under films jurisdiction or does that fall under TVs? Yeah. You know? and, well, um, specifically, the example I'm thinking of that was discussed quite a bit at AV Club was the O.J. Simpson Made in America docuseries. What what section it would be covered under was when we had to discuss it because it was a very blurry case. And quite notably, that won both an Oscar and an Emmy. Yeah. So, you know, that was one that, that the two, I guess, decided they got to share. Um, <laughs> um, like Twin Peaks. Everybody yeah, yeah, wants exactly. to claim Twin Peaks yes. the return also. <laughs> That's right. Um, now, The X-Files very clearly belongs belongs to television. It's a it's TV show. It's a TV show, show yeah. Um, it's a procedural. In What's interesting about The X-Files is, um, and we'll talk later about some of the notable creatives who worked on this show, who went on to create, you know, very well-regarded TV series in the peak TV area in the 2000s, 2010s. What's interesting about The X-Files to me is that it is a blend of a procedural, which we you refer to as Monster of the Week episodes in this one in particular, which is, you know, uh, a more old-fashioned or standard or specific to TV format. And then, but it blends that with what we are going to call mythology episodes, which are serialized in the manner of more, I'd say, contemporary prestige TV series. Yeah, you're right that it sort of sits on that boundary, and I think that a lot of that has to do about uh, with with when it with when it premiered, um, it, which was in the fall of 1993, mm-hmm. uh, when the show first came on the air, and it does sort of bridge the gap between um, between something like Cold Jack from the from the 70s, mm-hmm. which was almost purely Monster of the Week. Uh, character sort of going every week there's a new there's a new case and a new situation and and that serialized storytelling you're talking about because a big part of the X-Files is unfurling this uh, this larger conspiracy that mm-hmm. uh, that the agents are dealing with I should say that if you've never seen the X-Files um, I guess it's a little strange that you're listening to a podcast about <laughs> it but welcome welcome um, yeah. I mean maybe you're a film person who, who uh, doesn't who listens to us because we talk about movies generally and today we're talking about a TV show, but the uh, for those who are who, who are unaware of this very popular television show, um, it follows two FBI agents, Fox Mulder and Dana Scully, played by uh, David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson, respectively, and uh, they basically uh, their beat is uh, the unexplained. Mm-hmm. They're, they're sort of uh, what, what is uh, what is Mulder saying in the pilot? He says nobody down here, but the FBI's least wanted, uh, um, unwanted, yeah. Yeah, so they're... Um... FBI's most un- unwanted, he says, yeah. That's so, right. So, yeah, so the whole, the background of the story is, is that uh, Mulder was once a hotshot uh, criminal profiler behaviorist who worked in um, the the same sort of milieu as the characters on Mindhunter, where he was that sort of character who uh, used criminal profiling to catch serial killers. But he has a lifelong interest in the paranormal because he believes that his younger sister was abducted by aliens when they were kids. And so, you know, he basically gains enough clout at the FBI that he uh, goes his own way and decides to create his own 
department to investigate the paranormal full time. And it's not especially popular amongst the higher ups, but they put up with him because he's just too damn good. Um, <laughs> but to sort of mitigate this at the very beginning of the series, they assign him a younger agent, which is Dana Scully. And she is a medical doctor and a skeptic of the paranormal. So they pair them with the idea that Scully will keep Mulder in check. But of course, that develops over the course of the series. Yep. Yeah, that, that sort of uh, the, the dynamic they establish in that first season that he's he's willing to believe in anything, basically. And she is the voice of reason, the skeptic, who is, I would say, rather constantly confronted with uh, the reality. I will say one mm-hmm. thing about the show's the show's formula that I find kind of funny is that it, it's not like Scully is ever right to be skeptical. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's, like... that's true. Well, occasionally, I will, I will say that dynamic, though, gives them a lot of fun stuff to play with. They play with it sometimes. You know, they'll occasionally reverse it, where Scully yeah. believes that something supernatural is going on, and Mulder doesn't. Um, and Often enough- with a, a spiritual... Uh, yes, exactly. They establish early on that she's from a Catholic family, I believe. And uh, and she often, does believe in God, yeah. Right, right. And that ends up... Those do actually tend to be some really strong episodes, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it, it's a fun dynamic for them to play with, the, uh, specifically with her being re- religious and how that kind of butts up against belief in the supernatural. Yeah. So, as we said, the show premiered in the fall of 1993. Uh, the, uh, it was from creator Chris Carter, who had worked, uh, I think, a lot in uh, comedies before that, sort of uh, sitcoms on TV. And uh, I sort of felt like at that, that time it was kind of reflecting uh, some things that were going on Cultural, culturally and, and, and subculturally, you could say, a sort of booming interest in conspiracy theories. Um, Oliver Stone's JFK came out two years earlier. I think there's definitely a little bit of stone in the DNA of the X-Files. And a growing interest in things like the paranormal and, the, and alien abduction culture. The show th- sort of threw that into a blender. And uh, sort of any area of the unexplained was 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 fair game for the series. Um, mm-hmm. It uh, started on Friday nights and it was a cult show for a while. I remember it being one of the first shows that was really a, kind of an internet sensation. There yeah, were tons it's, of... it's made for the early internet. And there are mm-hmm. uh, peripheral characters, uh, these three guys, they call themselves the Lone Gunmen. And they are conspiracy theorists and buddies of Mulder's. And in some ways, they're sort of stands stand-ins for the really devoted audience members who would uh, very much so yeah. make websites yeah. about the show and things like that. I think there's a real overlap between people who got into this show in the early 90s and people who might genuinely fall down rabbit holes of conspiracy theory. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> uh, 100%. Well, they put in like so, some real life details and things like that. You know, like they talk about MUFON a lot on the show which is the mutual ufo network and that's a real thing they didn't make it up for the show so i imagine if you were if you were a member of mufon to see it mentioned on fox on friday night was probably pretty thrilling in the 90s (laughs) (laughs) for sure um so the show, uh, the show eventually switched to Sunday nights, and uh, it sort of over its first few years, sort of grew its ratings every year. I remember it was a, it, it was very much like a like a a, buzz, a a very highly buzzed about show in its early years. It sort sort of was seen as this. It was not like a huge ratings hit immediately, but it was building a fan base slowly. I remember it started showing up on magazine covers. Uh, things like Entertainment Weekly were promoting it really heavily in its early years, and and then in the fourth season, it switched to Sundays, uh, mm-hmm. where it, it kind 
kind of, I think that was one of its strongest seasons ratings wise. I think the highest episode rated episode of the series is still the Super Bowl episode. Um, they aired an episode at the, after the Super Bowl, which that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, um, that was around the, I mean, I don't know for sure, but at least in my an- like anecdotal memory, the 90s was a time when the Super Bowl really congealed as a cultural event. <laughs> I, I still kind of is, I would say. I, oh, it I, I don't, still I don't is, for sure. Are, yeah. It's just like, it, it <laughs> was definitely an event in the 90s, the Super for Bowl. For sure. Yeah, and it, that post it, it had become Bowl a holiday slot. by that point. I was, Sorry, just, I was just saying that that post-Super Bowl slot became like, whoever whoever has the Super Bowl that year will often stick the uh, one of their more popular shows. They'll, they'll sort of... They'll sort of stick an episode after that because there's that retention of audience that you get with the Super Bowl where people yep. are just like, what's on next? And they watch it. And I think that really benefited the X-Files. The show would go on for uh, for nine years, for nine seasons. And it was also recently revived a few years ago. They brought it back for a 10th season and then an 11th one. When, uh, when did you get into the show? Okay, so we've discussed this on the show a little bit before about how I was not allowed to really engage with a more R-rated adult sort of scary horror content when I was a kid, but my parents didn't mind me watching The X-Files because it was a network show. And so in some ways it was a gateway drug for me. Uh, I don't, I remember, I don't think I watched it when it was on Fridays. I didn't start watching it until it was on Sundays. Uh, but for me, I watched it uh, not faithfully every week, but I watched it probably from like the fourth through the, I think I lost interest around the, the eighth season. Um, but I would watch it sometimes on Sundays as a kid and I found it very um, another thing we'll talk about later is a lot of episodes are um, tributes to famous horror films, and I found that very interesting when I was a kid. <laughs> that was a big hook for me too, honestly. I mean, I was like, I was a horror movie kid in a lot of ways. Um, I I actually jumped into the show in its first season. Um, mm. I think the first episode I caught, I actually I actually remember this somehow, um, was Darkness Falls. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an episode from the first season. Uh, Mulder and Scully are called out to investigate the disappearance of some loggers in, I, I believe, the Pacific Northwest, and yep. uh, discover that they have the loggers have been uh, eaten by tiny uh, carnivorous insects. Mm-hmm. Um, needless to say, I was immediately hooked. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I was very much a horror movie kid, and it, the, what the X Files seemed to present was a new horror movie every week basically Mm -hmm. you know Uh, especially in that first season they're like running through a lot of archetypes you get like a werewolf episode you get you get a bigfoot episode you know um and 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 alien and of course there was the backdrop of of alien abduction culture and all that which Mm -hmm. which fascinated me as well and as they go on they start doing more with uh vampires will come up sometimes but in the third and fourth season they started doing more with uh witchcraft and black magic Totally. So uh, the show is generally fans of the show tend to to divide it into uh, there are sort of two modes that the X Files takes, which is the mythology episodes, and those are the episodes that continue this ongoing story of Mulder and Scully investigating uh, this grand government conspiracy, basically, and figuring out uh, sort of piecing together those parts. And then there are the Monster of the Week episodes, mm-hmm. and these are the ones where they just are dispatched to some to some town, often a kind of foggy forest town. Because the show was shot in Vancouver for, for several years. And, oh yeah, um, yeah. There's a lot of Canadian accents in the extras. You can yeah, totally. One line um, characters will have a thick Canadian accent more often than not. <laughs> totally. 
the monster of the week episodes tend to be tend to be self-contained. They tend to be standalones. We're just seeing them investigate a case, and the thing wraps up in in forty eight minutes or whatever. Uh, whereas the mythology ones are sort of always to be continued in their own way. You're incrementally getting more of this. Which do you prefer? Okay, so I always um, I liked the monster of the week. I think originally because I was an intermittent viewer, I didn't watch it faithful. I wasn't appointment television for me. It was just if I was home, I would watch it, uh, or if I you know if I was free i would watch the the show so i always preferred the monster of the week episodes uh partially because they would be more centered around creatures and i love monsters i always have it's my favorite thing in movies and so you know the idea of an episode based around uh like there's a lake monster episode in uh season three that i like so i always prefer the monsters of the week but it's interesting uh now that i'm doing a more modern style binge watch I'm really getting into the mythology episodes, which I wasn't before, probably because I couldn't follow it as well because it wasn't as fresh in my mind. <laughs> yeah, I do think the show is a little ahead of its time in that respect. Mm-hmm. Um, you could you could kind of, you could if you wanted to, I don't know who would do this because uh, I agree with you that the Monster of the Week episodes are, are, are more fun. Yeah, they um, are. I think, though, that you could string together all of the mythology episodes into a single coherent whole and just watch that if you wanted and it would play not so radically different than modern serialized television yeah no i definitely because they do return to the same uh themes and it, it is an overarching plot that develops over time so yeah you you could definitely do a series rewatch with just the mythology episodes but who would want to do that though seriously <laughs> <laughs> because the, the monster of the week ones are a lot more fun i think um <laughs> Uh, I, I They're always more humorous. Those. You know, one of the things that the X Files does that's fun is it blends more straight, uh, straight faced, you know, action and sci fi thriller with uh, sometimes winking self referential humor, and those tend to be the Monster of the Week episodes, the funny ones. Totally. Yep. Uh, yeah. There's not a lot of that in the mythology episodes. No, not um, at all. It's all about. Uh, They're poor families. Man, they just pick them off one by one, huh? They really do. They just kill off members of the extended (laughs) Mulder and Scully families. They don't have Uh, any siblings left. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I will say this. Yeah, I always found the mythology episodes to be kind of... uh, Growing up, I, I, I was kind of bored by them sometimes. Um, but I will say that as I've gotten older and I've revisited the show a couple times, uh, there is a certain very cinematic sweep to those episodes. Mm. Mm. Um, and they're so steeped, I think, in in the kind of style and, and the paranoia of sort of 1970s uh, government conspiracy movies, things like All oh, the President's Men. There's like a lot of, uh, I mean, even, even the first season, you know, he... he, he has a he has a regular contact named Deep Throat, and uh, I think that very much those those mythology episodes to me feel like carrying the torch of um, the sort of paranoid seventies thrillers. Oh, that uh, yeah, that's fascinating. And there is a certain scope to the mythology episodes too that I really appreciate. Um, just in terms of uh, they tend to they tend to have almost a. It's funny when, when the movie came out in nineteen ninety eight. I remember thinking watching the movie even then that like it clicked for me watching it that like the tv show is often plays like they're trying to do 
they're trying to do cinema on TV every like week to week almost. Sure, know? yeah. Particularly um, um, something that they do in a lot of the seasons is the, like the season two finale is a two parter, and then the season mm-hmm. three premiere is the second part. And if you put those two episodes together, it would be a ninety minute film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, they'll have these action movie. Uh, occasionally, the the scenario that they, that they actually put the characters into is kind of a stock action movie scenario. There, there's an episode in the third season where uh, where Mulder ends up on a train, basically mm-hmm. on, on like basically like a runaway train. There is uh, one of my one of my favorite of the mythology episodes, Dwayne Barry from the second season, is basically like a hostage thriller, but mm-hmm. with but with Fox Mulder and the element of alien abduction added. Um, so I appreciated the. I appreciated the mythology episodes in that respect that they sometimes really did play like little miniature movies that you got to see on television. And, uh, you know, you talk about how the mythology series are cinematic and we mentioned this up top too, that the X-Files would pay tribute to different, uh, different, uh, you know, genre milestones in the first season. There's an episode that plays a tribute to the thing and Mm -hmm. uh, they'll, there's one episode later on in the sixth season that plays a, a tribute to speed and um, their most infamous episode, which is a season four episode home, which aired once on Fox and they never re-aired it as a rerun because it is very disturbing. That one is sort of a tribute to the Hills have eyes and the Texas chainsaw massacre. Yeah. That was actually one of the, the, the things that I've always loved about the show. And that I've always thought is a lot of fun is that it is almost like you take these two characters and you kind of insert them into horror movies or science fiction films that you've seen before, you know. Um, and I think the show is pretty explicit about what it's borrowing from a lot of the time. Um, but uh, it was always, you know, you ha- you just have these two characters that the audience has grown fond of, and they're just suddenly in the middle of the thing, you know. Yeah, um, and and if you like the thing, it's really it's fun. There's always a fun aspect of being able to point and go, I know what they're talking about. You know, it's always yeah. fun to feel on the inside, which may have influenced, you know, how this show really took off on the Internet. You know, like a, a big obsessive horror movie fans, I in general, I imagine, would appreciate that aspect of the show. And, you know, even the characters, in a way, are tributes to other films. Like, for example, uh, because of Mulder's background, sometimes he'll investigate serial killer cases. And in those episodes, Scully ends up being a Clarice Starling, Silence of the Lambs-style character. And so you do end up with some Thomas Harris in there, too, even in the uh, the, the drawing of the characters, having the whole oh, there behavioral is a, science there is aspect. A... There's a major Silence of the Lambs influence on on the X Files. Yeah, um, that of course was released two years earlier. Carter has admitted as much. I mean, I think even the fact that the show follows, the show is set within the FBI is mm-hmm. uh, was directly inspired by Silence of the Lambs. Um, I'll, I'm going to get to this later, but one of my favorite episodes of the of the series is very is a very clear Silence of the Lambs uh, tribute. But I think for a lot of people, what what kept people coming back to this show was the relationship between its main characters, between mm-hmm. Mulder and Scully, which obviously evolved over the years. Um, I think in the early the, the the early years, it was the first season. There was this there was this kind of uneasiness between them because of their roles. Uh, them not trusting each other and that kind of grew into a, a, a in, into a friendship and into uh, eventually they became kind of platonic life, life partners in a way and then later on in the show's run um, I mean people were sort of shipping Mulder and Scully long before shipping yeah, was a term were, people were using in some ways they're the original ship 
Uh, I don't know a lot about the history of fan fiction, but I would not be surprised if fan fiction about Mulder and Scully played a big de- uh, role in the development of that online in particular. I, w- I, I would imagine, yeah. I mean, I think there were yeah. a lot of people who were really invested in them getting together. The show did eventually get them together and then broke them up. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta keep uh, the drama coming. They can yeah, only get yeah. cancer so many times. That's true. <laughs> um, I, I think that Carter, uh, Carter always wanted them to to not be an item but then you know Mm. again again sometimes you got to give the audience what they want how invested were you watching this show growing up in in the Mulder and Scully relationship growing up not all that invested but now going back as an adult I do find myself rooting for them to get together and it's fun watching it develop over time uh, because like you said they they do become closer over time and a lot of big life changes happen like we alluded to family members die and things like that and they're both such workaholics that they don't really have anyone else in their lives <laughs> um, yeah. so they, they become very close and dependent on each other and it's I don't know it sort of seemed natural for them to get together in the end to me so I would I would, it's hard to, for me to say because I know they get together in the end, you know what I mean? And so, mm-hmm. like, the the tension isn't really there like it would have been watching it the first time. But I do, I do like it, and I do like when they get together. I watched an episode recently where uh, Mulder tells Scully that he loves her, and it, it was nice. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Well, uh, growing up, I didn't really care about that aspect of it, to be honest. I, I didn't, uh, especially as a romance, that was just, which was just not, adolescent me was not interested in that aspect of the show. <laughs> right. um, <laughs> I will say that as as I've rewatched the show and as I've grown older, I have become invested in uh, what these actors have done with these characters and uh, the chemistry between them. Um, not necessarily even romantic, but how the show sort of took what could have been a stock dynamic between them and and really uh, gave it a spark of life. A lot of the funnier episodes of the show are really about the relationship between these two and how it can kind of it can kind of be testy and how they mm-hmm. kind of push each other's boundaries a little bit. Uh, I do think some of the and I think some of the stronger, more dramatic episodes are about about sometimes about Scully's inability to meet Mulder in the middle, but also mm-hmm. about looking at Mulder's. Um, I mentioned Dwayne Barry earlier which is, uh, again, it's an episode in the second season where Mulder is brought in to help mediate a uh, a hostage situation where the person who has taken people hostage in, in an office building uh, believes that he was abducted by aliens over the years. Yeah. And uh, the whole tension of the episode isn't necessarily will, you know, will Mulder survive this encounter? Will will this guy kill the hostages? It's, I mean, that's part of it, but a big part of it is, is Mulder's willingness to believe, at, does that actually make him a dangerous element to to introduce into this situation Mm. and um i really feel like the show in its best moments was really interested in the degree to which Mulder's mania and his willingness to believe was that a good thing or not it's interesting you bring up Mulder's willingness to believe as sort of a dynamic element because that's something that they play with a lot with the character of scully uh something earlier on in the show that sort of manifests in scully sort of being a damsel in distress more than i would like her getting kidnapped Mm. and things like that but over time, I think I think you're seeing two parallel but divergent character arcs happening, which is a really cool dynamic 
where where Scully it's it's like Mulder wants to believe too much but Scully refuses to see what's in front of her eyes and Mm -hmm. that push pull is very interesting it is for sure I do think you touch on something that that I would consider maybe something of a flaw in the show which is that I feel like they always make Mulder this extremely proactive character somebody who's always searching and he's always trying to uncover things he's always taking that leap He's always doing the dangerous thing. He'll jump onto the moving train. He'll go where he's told not to go. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas they'll often make Scully a reactive character, not just in the sense that she's reactive to Mulder and his crazy theories, but also in the sense that the, the, the major events that happen to her are, again, all things that kind of happen to her. You know, I yeah. mean, she gets abducted. She gets cancer at one point. She has an unexplained pregnancy. These are all things where the character has had uh, some sort of outside force imposed upon her. Yeah. And that's one aspect of the show. You know, this was almost 30 years ago. And the show does kind of there are a few episodes that I like where they do sort of get into how tough it must be for Scully. Um, there's an episode called Irresistible that I think is in the second season that I actually like quite a bit where it's scully scully's having a hard time with the serial killer case they're working on because the killer is just a violent obviously violently misogynistic and she has kind of a hard time dealing with it and there are a few episodes where um she'll be disrespected you know someone won't think that she's a doctor because she's a woman things like that you know different local law enforcement will give her a hard time and i appreciate that they were kind of you know gesturing towards that sort of feminist look at it but i feel that the fact that they that yes most of her conflicts are things that happen to her rather than things that she gets involved in uh balances that out and may actually end up outweighing it a bit yeah um, I do think that Anderson is great in the role. I oh, think yeah. that she is almost uh, almost indisputably a stronger actor than Duchovny. I mean, Duchovny's <laughs> perfect for that role, but Anderson does so much emotional heavy lifting, particularly in mythology episodes and any time that she has to cope with, with her characters coping with a loss, which, as we joked earlier, is more often than not. Um, uh-huh. You know, uh, there was an, I was watching an episode recently from the third season called Piper Maru, and it's a... Uh, it's a it's a third season mythology episode and uh the opening few minutes of it belong to, to anderson in the sense that she has two scenes back to back and her acting is so good that it almost breaks the show a little bit sometimes <laughs> you know it's too, it's too good <laughs> she's too good and, and and that's a mythology episode too and the show ends up like after these opening two scenes the show is just barreling head first into the conspiracy stuff again and i kept being like i just want to know what's going on with scully i just want to know what's going on dramatically with the character and i i think that that was the strength of the show even when even when it was kind of um getting lost in the in the increasingly convoluted uh mythology arc yeah uh it's interesting you mentioned that because there is a very similar thing going on in another episode uh you mentioned her getting cancer uh it's memento mori is the season four episode where she gets the diagnosis and she does some really great acting in that episode there's a scene towards the end where Mulder comes to the hospital to see her and they have this sort of touching moment and she's just yeah i mean she really kills it in that scene but then right after that there's a scene where she goes but i want to go back to to work and then they and then the next one's a monster of the week episode and it's a bit you wish that they had let jillian anderson do do a little more there <laughs> i think that's the the tv format coming 
kind of yeah. bumping up against it. I had a similar thought watching the second season where she's she's abducted and comes back, and there's there's very a very similar conversation she has with Mulder where she's just like, "Got to get back to work," and that feels more like the show reasserting its formula that necessarily than a choice that makes a ton of sense for this character. Sure, yeah. Although the character, I mean, I, they kind of work it into the character in the sense that she's a bit closed off and it ties into her mm-hmm. not wanting to acknowledge what's right in front of her face a little bit. But overall, I do think you're right that it is just the demands of television formula more than it is a deliberate character choice. <laughs> yeah. Um, when do you think the show jumped the shark, if if ever? Uh, the, the later, yeah, like, I remember season eight having some good episodes, but kind of losing interest. And then season nine, uh, the word on the street was that it was bad, so I just didn't bother. Did you ever watch the relaunch? Yeah, I watched some of the relaunch, and there was exactly one episode that I very much enjoyed, which was uh, the one with the were monster that uh, Kumail Nanjiani was in that episode. Which we should say that episode is written by Darren Morgan. Mm-hmm. Um, he it's is, a classic uh, Darren Morgan episode. <laughs> it is, it is. Uh, Darren Morgan is one of the more popular uh, writers who worked on the show. Um, obviously, a lot of people who worked on the series went on to, to bigger things. Um, Morgan wrote some of the, again, some of the most acclaimed episodes of the series. He wrote uh, Jose chunks from outer space he wrote um, the best episode by the way that's the best one I would have to agree. I do think that is the the high point of the series. Uh, I wouldn't say it's my favorite necessarily, but it is the best, I think. Yeah. Um, He wrote Humbug, the the one set in the the circus community in Florida. Mm -hmm. Uh, He wrote Clyde uh, Clyde Bruckman's Final Repo, which uh, is the Peter Boyle episode. Boyle won won an Emmy for it. I believe it won an Emmy for its writing as well. Um, he is sort of uh, often accepted as uh, maybe the, the great writer of the show, even though he only did a, really a handful of episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, I would they're say all his... comedy. They're all a little bit meta. They're all uh, comedy episodes, uh, you know, that sort of um, lightly um, satirize the entire concept of these very serious people in black trench coats, you know, <laughs> coming in to solve all the world's mysteries. He had a lot of fun with, with that dynamic and with Mulder mm-hmm. especially, um, poking fun at, at that character um i would say that there is a strain of melancholy in in his episodes too mm. that shouldn't be ignored either i mean they are they are they're all very funny but there, there's also there's some very real uh, pathos i think to to the episodes he wrote as well mm-hmm. um and i do think that morgan's contributions to both the ninth and the tenth season are really the I hate to say it, about the only reason to really pay much attention to the relaunch, which I thought okay. in general was just off. Um, if I can, I will say I'm going to, I will say I, I, I am a defender of the eighth season of the show, which I know okay. is a place where a lot of people kind of got off the train. Um, it was uh, at the end of the seventh season, Duchovny was in a very public dispute with Fox over salary. And uh, it kind of, uh, there was a very real chance that he was going to leave the show. And he did in the ninth season. But in the eighth season, they had kind of had to deal with the fact that they only had him, uh, of, they basically only had him committed to do, I think, 12 episodes. So about mm-hmm. half the season. Yeah. So they came up with this thing where Mulder is abducted and Scully has a new partner. Uh, he's Agent Doggett, played by Robert Patrick. I always really liked this character. Um, I know he's oh, really? not necessarily. Yeah, I really, really like this character. I wrote a whole piece. If you're interested, X Files fans, I did write a whole piece in defense of Daga on the on the on the AV Club. But 
I always it's thought It's not that his it, fault, to be fair. <laughs> it's not, and the show bakes in the whole... I mean, the show is fully aware that the audience is going to reject him. So a lot of the eighth season is about this new character who's trying to find his footing in a new world, knowing full well that he's going to be constantly compared to his predecessor. That mm-hmm. comes up over and over again. And I actually think that the dynamic between him, him and Anderson in the eighth season really injects some new life because by the end of the seventh season, the show, I think, was kind of running on fumes a little bit and uh, there's a case to be made that the show should have ended at the end of the seventh season mm-hmm. um, but I do think that Doggett and his particular energy brings something bring, brought something new to the show at a time when it really needed that and uh, I think he deserves better than some fans have some fans have given him over the years <laughs> uh, so what's your favorite season of the show my favorite season of the X-Files is season three because I think that they really hit their stride in terms of the balance between Monster of the Week and um, mythology. I think the blend of it in that season feels very, like, it's natural, you know? It, the mythology, neither feels like it's disrupting the other in that season. It works as a whole. And also they were starting to play with, the um as we were discussing with the darren morgan episodes they were starting to play with the tropes of the show itself in that in the third season a little bit and uh like the first season it didn't quite have its identity yet season two they're figuring it out my main issue with season two is that scully gets kidnapped too much and but by season three i think they had really found their rhythm I hear you, and I, I love season three as well. It's it's really hard, high up there for me. I think that, for me, I think season two is the strongest season. Um, mm. And I agree it does have to work around. Um, so Gillian Anderson got pregnant at the time, which is why they came up with this whole abduction plot. She couldn't be around for a few episodes. So there is actually, there's, uh, there's an episode that I think counts, is it maybe the only episode of The X-Files that she's not in? There's a very, there's, there's a very cheesy second season episode <laughs> where Mulder goes to Los Angeles. I know which one you mean. <laughs> it's like a sexy vampire episode. This, um, yes, and they, they, they go to a nightclub, and I remember uh, X is the unheard music is playing at the vampire nightclub so <laughs> cheers hey whoever the music supervisor was in those early seasons did a great job there's some great like punk and alt rock in the background yeah, yeah, yeah. on the x-files yeah <laughs> um so the show did have to work its way around her absence a little bit in some some semi-clumsy ways uh towards the beginning of the season but at the same time the second season for me is really when this show became what it wants to be mm-hmm. um you could just see an immediate uptick in confidence um, I think both both visual, conceptual, in the writing. My my favorite aspect of the show is the way uh, that it that it tackles this kind of uh, formulaic uh, case of the week. I, I I do genuinely really love the formula of this show, which is Mulder and Scully going to a town and investigating something strange. Mulder has an idea of what it might be. They slowly figure it out. I think that in the second season, the show really produced some of its best episodes. Uh, just sort of uh, playing with that general formula. And you could see mm. that the show knew what it wanted to be at that point. And uh, I think there is some... Uh, the third season has, made, like, as we mentioned, Jose Ch- Jose Chung from Outer Space, that probably the best episode of the series, is in season three, as is Clyde Bruckman. Morgan has a second season episode, though, called Humbug that I think is great. And I just... Yeah. Did, I, I, 
I really think that the the platonic ideal of what the X Files can be is in that second season. And I'll say too that the mythology episodes, which have never necessarily been my favorite, some of the strongest ones are in that second season. Um, there's a great one called Endgame that has uh, that has this great set of a, a a submarine that's broken through the ice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And the the mythology would get more and more convoluted as the show went on. But in those early years, there was something more streamlined about it. There was more mystery to them. And in the second season, I think the show really nailed that aspect of it, of, of its formula. Well, I'll give you this. I do think that the season two premiere, which is Little Green Men, the one where uh, Mulder goes to Puerto Rico to investigate uh, aliens, and then the season two finale in Asazi, which is where he's investigating aliens on a Navajo reservation, are two very strong mythology episodes. And particularly the season two finale going into the season three premiere, like those two episodes together, are a really a very good mythology episode. So I'll give you that. <laughs> cool. So favorite episode? Uh, well, you know, it's not not a controversial choice. I think Jose Chung from Outer Space is the best episode of The X-Files. Um, I personally like uh, a lot of stuff from the third, second, third, fourth seasons. I think there's a lot of good stuff in there. I like, I mentioned it earlier, I like the episode Irresistible, um, which is... Something that's interesting is uh, I've been enjoying the sort of Silence of the Lambs episodes more this time around. Maybe, mm-hmm. I mean, I recapped Mindhunter for AV Club uh, last year. So, you know, maybe it's just sort of something that I'm more aware of now than I was when I was a kid. You know, the sort of whole criminal profiling thing. But I have been enjoying those episodes more. And Irresistible is a uh, serial killer episode. And there's other also an episode in season four is a serial killer episode I like a lot, which is Paper Hearts, which is a combination of a procedural and a mythology episode. It's sort of a blend there. And uh, I like that one quite a bit as well. Yeah, it's really hard to pick a single favorite episode, to be honest. Um, Yeah, it's like, of which type? Because of the witchcraft episodes. There's also, uh, you said season two is the best. There's a season two episode called Die Hand Die Wirzelet, which is mm-hmm. about Satanists at a uh, high school, which is a very good episode as well. Yeah, I love that one too. Yeah, um, that one's really good. <laughs> I You mentioned Silence of the Lambs before, and I think actually one of the greatest moments of the show is a is kind of a direct tribute to, to Silence of the Lambs. It's a season one episode. Uh, I know season one sometimes is seen by, by fans as... A slightly more primitive version of the show. I hadn't quite figured out what it was yet, and there, there mm-hmm. are some real clunkers in the first season. <laughs> but um, I would put uh, the, the season one episode Beyond the Sea. I would put up against um, anything the show did afterwards. Uh, it's the episode where um, Scully's father dies, yeah, and uh, the two end up uh, her her and Mulder end up investigating. There's this case where where some some young girls have been kidnapped. And they suspect that um, that the person who's done it is working with a is working with a convict um, who somebody on death row. Uh, the character's name is Luther Lee Boggs, which, by the way, is a great name. But he's played by Brad Dorf, and he claims he's psychic. And the whole episode is. Uh, is built around this tension between Mulder believing that the guy is 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 a scam artist and that he's just trying to get out of the electric chair, basically get out of the death penalty, and Scully who want who 
you know, uh, what's what's the show's motto? I want to believe. I, mm-hmm. I think in that episode. And is also, one of the episodes... trust no one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's definitely an episode where Scully is fighting with uh, her desire to believe that Boggs really has these powers because he might be able to speak to her father. I think it's like an enormously moving episode um, mm-hmm. and some of the best acting she ever did on the show with Boggs as, and, and, and Dorf but is one of the best guest stars they ever had. I think he's very much doing a kind of, uh, he, he's very much playing a lecturish figure but putting his own spin on it one thing about the x-files that is really fun is a lot of actors who went on to become famous did time on the x-files like for example there's an episode in season six uh called drive uh the guest stars brian cranston and that's the one that i referred to earlier this x-files does speed um but like basically all the elements of Breaking Bad, because Vince Gilligan, who went on to create Breaking Bad, worked on the X-Files. Uh, all the elements of Breaking Bad are in this episode. Brian Cranston's there. It's set out in, you know, a trailer out in, <laughs> I believe it is Nevada. It's either Nevada or Utah. I forget which one. But there, it's out west, you know, just all, all the pieces are in there. And I think that's pretty, a lot, there are a lot of familiar faces when you watch X-Files episodes, which is always really just a great time. It is. It's not the best episode, but there is a season Season two episode that has a uh, Giovanni Ravisi and Jack Black both as young men in it. That is also one of the more delightful uh, guest starring turns on the show. I agree that episode's a lot of fun. So, how do you feel like the show has aged, down Going back and looking at it now, because you know I was referring to earlier that the show kind of muddies. I mean, when you look at it in terms of, mo- you can see where the culture has changed particularly in episodes where Mulder and Scully are investigating. Like there's an episode that deals with Haitian refugees and voodoo and like African folk tales. And there's one episode set in Chinatown and San Francisco. And the, and it's not like overtly insensitive, but it also wouldn't fly on TV nowadays. You like, I think when the show deals with, does a monster of the week in an ethnic subculture, those have not aged very well in my opinion yeah i mean i think a lot of them at least attempt to be respectful and don't always oh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. they are they are yeah yeah i agree that the, those aspects of, of the show are sometimes rather dated there's there's a lot about the show that's a little dated mm-hmm. i think some of its some of its gender politics sometimes are pretty dated too um but in at least one respect i think the show uh remains pretty timely and i think that it's 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 paranoia about government corruption and it's uh, it it it's fear of of things happening behind the scenes that that the rest of that that the country is not allowed to know about. Uh, I think that stuff uh, honestly still looks pretty pretty timely, and and um, I, I think it, it's depiction of government bureaucracy, but also mm-hmm. of uh, I mean it's it's a total sci-fi fantasy viewing of of government conspiracy. Obviously, it's a, uh, one that's not particularly steeped in reality, but I do think that the show's political conscience is is there and has held up pretty well. Yeah, there is an episode in the fourth season uh, that's a background, uh, you know, sort of a backstory episode for the cigarette smoking man, which is one of the big antagonists in the show. He's the shadowy figure behind the scenes who makes everything work. And there's a scene in that episode where the cigarette smoking man is sitting with all of his minions around a conference desk and they're discussing how they're going to rig the Oscars and the Super Bowl for that year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, that kind of stuff is is maybe kind of silly, but... Um, I think it's I, meant to know. be comedic. 
but yeah i mean i do think some of the the the, the sort of deeper conspiracy aspects um of the show obviously are are fantasy um i do think that the show's political conscience and uh it's 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 notions about government are not so radically outlandish well we are in a new golden age of conspiracy theory now so in that way it does remain quite timely well that's all for us on the x-files this week was a sort of a special diversion into television but please be sure to rate review and subscribe to film club wherever you get your podcasts and we've got a lot of movie discussion there for you this week's episode of film club was hosted by me alex dowd and by katie reif it was produced and edited by carl blumberg our sound mixer and finishing editor is seth hafer and our motion graphics designer is julie mullins we'll be back soon with a brand new episode thanks thanks